This is the Brew World Order Podcast. Welcome to the Brew World Order Podcast. My name is Mike Curtin. If you haven't subscribed yet, we'll step on up and give it a try. Happy Independence Day. I hope you're all enjoying your freedom by listening to this lovely episode of the Brew World Order Podcast while floating in a pool somewhere, taking in some sun rays, and sipping on an ice-cold, delicious brew. Thanks, America. This is episode number 48, and in this episode I sit down with Stephen Monahan, co-owner of Little Brother Brewing Company in Greensboro, North Carolina. Stephen tells us how they were able to open their brewery debt-free, how he doesn't really feel the need for a mental break from work, and the funny story of how he got so drunk that he wound up adopting a new best friend that now greets all the guests of Little Brothers by jumping up to them and asking them for belly rubs. Sounds like a sweet boy. Well... Getting drunk and forgetting that is not the worst thing that can happen. I've done much worse, and I'll keep that to myself out of pure embarrassment. But what you shouldn't forget to do is subscribe to the podcast, and then sit back, crack open a beer, and enjoy this podcast. Hey guys, I'm Mike Curtin. This is the Brew World Order Podcast, and today I'm with Stephen Monahan, co-owner of Little Brother Brewing Company in Greensboro, North Carolina. Stephen Monahan grew up in Chicago, Illinois. In 2003, he worked on his undergraduate's degree at the University of Denver in Colorado, where he started to find an interest in craft beer and homebrewing. After college, he wound up heading down to Charlotte, North Carolina, where he worked as a restaurant manager, and not too long after, obtained a job at a homebrewing shop where he would soon become manager. While working at the shop, he came to the realization that he really wanted to become a professional brewer. To make it happen, he interned at a brewery and attended the Master Brewers Program at the Siebel Institute in his hometown of Chicago, and also in Munich, Germany as well. After graduating in 2015, he was hired as a head brewer at Little City Brewing in Raleigh, North Carolina. Soon after that, he would cross paths with Jeff Colley and Daniel McCoy. The three spoke about their interests and passions for opening their own brewery, and they soon decided it would be a great fit for them to work together. And with that, they would soon be on their way to opening what is now known as Little Brother Brewing Company in Greensboro, North Carolina. They officially opened their doors to the public in November of 2017. And Stephen Monahan is here with me today. Hey, Steve, how's it going? Hey, Mike, how you doing? All right. So it was almost like a a year or so between the time when you decided you wanted to become a pro brewer uh, to the moment you got that head brewer's job at Little City. So what was that journey like for you? And uh, how much of a role did drive play in that? You know, I was kind of getting burnt out on the hospitality industry, and I knew I needed to make a change, or uh, I was just going to kind of end up with the same job that I had been in for the last, for the previous like seven or eight years. Um, so, um, I, you know, it, it was it was a singular opportunity to pursue my passion. And so I just kind of took it and, um, you know, luckily I was able to springboard my educational credentials into, um, an opportunity to open a brand new brewery in Raleigh and, um, having that, uh, experience, um, you know, working with the contractors and all the subs and, um, having to manage my own, uh, production, um, ordering all the raw materials and, uh, specking out equipment and, picking out my own system and kind of figuring out what was best suited to the space, um, was, was an incredibly valuable, uh, you know, educational experience as I was kind of the, uh, lead point of contact for a lot of these contractors. Right. 
So during that time when you were, when during the process of opening the brewery from the start to when you actually opened the door, what do you think was the most challenging part? Um, I think a lot of it is just um, the logistics of getting all the things that you need done by on time and, and kind of coordinating that with the general contract and all their subs. Right. Like for instance, um, you know, they can't put the PLC in until the three phase electric is in and they, you can't do that. And that they only have certain dates scheduled and, and the electrician can't come because he's taking his family on vacation or something. <laughs> right, right. And then, and so that sets everybody back by like four weeks. And then there's other people that have, you know, they have their vacations that they have to be pushed back. And then, you know, it's just, the, everything is really, really tough in terms of construction. Just when you have so many different people working on the same project, right. they have, they have a, a myriad of other projects that they're working on too. So, um, you know, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> and where did you guys go about finding the capital to open your business? Um, here at Little Brother? Yes. Um, well, uh, Jeff and Daniel, we were, we were pretty much um, uh, completely funded by uh, Jeff and Daniel. They okay. have had successful careers in the real estate and um, uh, insurance business. Um, so uh, this is kind of their kind of second, their side project. And they both still have uh, full-time jobs. So... Um, we were luckily, uh, opened this, this company with no debt. Awesome. That's pretty amazing. Um, that was great. So besides, I mean, I know you were open for about, I guess it was one, two, I said it was about three or four years, right? Three, three years before COVID hit. Uh, mm-hmm. how'd you guys go about adjusting to that? when the whole, all the shutdowns and everything happened? Well, um, we realized really quickly the only way we were going to be able to stay afloat is to really aggressively market to-go sales. And so we had this tiny little 16-ounce can seamer um, that just sat on the bar. And so our bartenders went from you know serving a full tap room to just pumping out as many cans one at a time as possible from our draft system. Right, right from that little seamer. And at first we were selling it out the window, um, and doing deliveries, um, pretty much, um, twice a week and then doing, uh, pick up, uh, the other, you know, seven days a week. And, um, that kind of kept us afloat, you know, when we're pumping out three or 400 cans a day sometimes, and maybe twice a week having 30 or 40 deliveries would take, six or seven hours just to go around town. So that really kept us afloat. The, the community really rallied around us, um, and that worked out great um, until um, all the restaurants were allowed to open again, and then all that demand for delivery just completely evaporated. Right. So um, we, we uh, waited a little while longer, probably a month after everybody else opened, just because we wanted to keep our staff safe. Um, but at that point, we had no choice but to open back up for regular service. So we put into place really stringent um, distancing guidelines and, um, you know, started serving out of plastic cups, 
Um, and, uh, you know, this was all before we even knew that, you know, the virus wasn't really spread by shared surfaces. So, you know, right. we're, <laughs> every, everything that ever got touched got hit with like isopropyl alcohol. Right, right. Um, Taking the proper precautions. Extreme. All the windows were open in the dead of winter. So oh boy. Like 40 degrees in here <laughs> and people would have to be wearing their winter coats in here. But, um, that was like kind of our commitment to keep people safe. And actually people really appreciated it. Right. And, yeah. um, you know, it was still, you know, we, we were still down like 60%, but, um, it, it kept the lights on. So. Right. For sure. So what do you think has been the hardest adjustment you had to make from actually being a head brewer uh, at Little City to actually being a head brewer and part owner of a brewery? I'll say one thing. My, my system at Little City was a lot nicer. I had rakes, and it was a bigger system. And uh, here, where we kind of started with kind of a bare-bone system, four-barrel electric, the process is a lot harder. We have more fermentation capacity as well. So I just have to turn this four-barrel as often as I can, at least I've got to try to brew three to four times a week. Um, in order to keep up, um, especially because we're expanding so aggressively right now. Right. Um, so the biggest challenge has just been like the raw labor. But I just hired my my first assistant a couple days ago after four years. Wow. So hopefully I can catch a little bit of a, catch my breath. Yeah, that sounds nice. And speaking of catching your breath, how important is a a mental break for you from uh, from everything? Uh, not that important to me. Um, I'm a I'm, I'm a worker. I like to work. And so for me, it's just like, oh, my personal life and kind of my mental state is kind of had, had, is taking a back seat to try to work towards a longer, long, more long-term goal. Uh, I suppose it's kind of an old fashioned attitude, but, um, I mean, I, I could have had, I could have taken it easier on myself years ago by hiring an assistant, but I wanted to make sure all our processes were completely dialed in and you know there was zero compromise on quality right um and if we hadn't been expanding so quickly now i i probably still wouldn't have hired assistant but uh you know with me working seven days a week there's still not enough hours in the day for me to catch up in terms of production so i'm i'm, I'm forced to do it yeah right you want everybody to taste that beer and then taste it again and say that's the beer i remember so who do you think's inspired you the most in the beer industry? Uh, you know, my friends from beer school and then all the relationships I've, I've made uh, in the industry have, have been the most inspirational to me because I couldn't be anywhere near I am without support from all my friends. Uh, like those first few batches that like before I even started at Little City, I, you know, called in favors from literally everyone I know and said, hey, can I can I come into your brewery and uh you know, brew a batch with you and ask you a million questions in between. And everybody was really upset. Nobody ever told me no. So right. I did that at like 15 different breweries before I even brewed my own first batch at my own spot. So that helped me be um, really uh, more better prepared, having no um, commercial production experience, being in charge of an entire production. That was uh, essential. Gotcha. So what do you think's been the biggest lesson you've learned so far being an owner of a brewery? Um, there's no substitute for hard work. And um, that's true. <laughs> and there's, and, uh, you know, the quality is um, something you can't cut corners on. Um, so 
you know, I, I, I believe that, you know, quality is a result of, you know, one or two or 300 tiny little things that you can choose to either do or not do. And the more of those things, you know, if, if you decide not to do three or four of them during a brew day, then it doesn't really show up in a beer. But the more cuts you, the more tiny little cuts you make in quality, um, the more shortcuts you make, the more it shows up in the beer. And so just having an uncompromising attitude towards quality and towards, you know, not just in your process, but also in the materials you use. We use um, 100% uh, Epiphany Craft malt. So that is local maltster out of Durham that uses all North Carolina local malt from local farmers. And um, not only is it, you know, help bring sustainability to North Carolina in the agricultural sector, but the quality is also, in my opinion, superior to um, the big national brands that um, a lot of other brewers are using. And if I'm not mistaken, I think we're the only ones in the triad that are doing that. So I'm very proud of that. We pay a little more for it, but I think it really shows up in the glass. Very cool. And uh, what do you think brings people to your brewery over other breweries in your area? Uh, well, we have an awesome location. Um, we have a top-notch staff. Um, you know, my whole background has been in hospitality, and that's what I majored in in, in right. uh, college. So, one, you know, I, I've always been, you know, a good brewer, but like one of my true passions has been hospitality. So making sure that, you know, uh, we have the, the best service at all times and nobody's ever calling it in is the number one thing for me over beer quality. Right. Um, and then uh, we have an, a beautiful build. We have a beautiful space. Um, it's small, but we have an incredible mural. We have the, these incredible mosaic tile floors that are 80 years old. Um, this building has a lot of history and, uh, we had some great designers that really figured out how to tie everything together um, in the space. Gotcha. And uh, what do you think has been one of the biggest changes in the last five years in the brewing industry? Probably just, um, you know, stylistically what people are into, you know, there's certain things where you kind of got to jump on the trend or you get left behind. Right. And then there's other things where you don't really, want to compromise to emulate the market because you kind of feel like you're losing a bit of your integrity. Like a lot of people are doing seltzers right now. And that's something I refuse to do right? because I don't, I don't think it's craft. Good. Good. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not big on them either. I got to be honest. <laughs> if you want to count calories, drink vodka. That's true too. It gets, it gets you there quicker. So, what was your gateway beer into the craft beer world? 2004, it was a Tommyknocker um, Nut Maple Brown. Those guys are out of, I want to say Longmont, but I know that's wrong. It's on the way up to the mountains. This is a beautiful little brewery, and uh, they had like this uh, Maple Nut Brown. It just tasted like nectar, and at that point, you know, I was a freshman in college right. um you know my favorite beer was like high life so right. um they really opened my eyes and then i i started getting into like breckenridge beers you know great divide and then and then you know my my first homebrew batch was uh pr- pretty similar to a lot of brewer stories it was like one of those mr beer kits right yeah and um 
you know, we, it was just this gross stuff. We, you know, you don't even boil it. You just throw a packet in like this, like plastic keg looking thing. And then like, we decided to throw a bunch of just like raspberries at it to make it a raspberry weed. And of course, like it got infected and just yeah. turned sour. Ugh. Um, <laughs> um and, and not in a good way. Yeah. Right. But I think, uh, Tommy knocker is in a, it says Idaho Springs here. Idaho Springs, yes. Idaho Springs, okay. And Great Divide, yeah. by the way, Great Divide, one of my favorite breweries. I, I love, I love most of the stuff that they do, if not all. They're they're really good. I think in, in 05, I probably drank more Titan IPA than anybody in Colorado. Uh, it's a good one. It's a good one. <laughs> I like. The, I'm I'm a big fan of the Hercules that they do. Hercules is great. Yeah. So, if you had one home brewing tip to give to somebody to pass it on, what do you think it would be? Um, oxygen free t- transfers and, uh, and, uh, you know, purging your bottles before filling. Those are the two most key things. So if you're transferring from primary to secondary, right. you want to, you want to purge your, the carboy you're going into with CO2 first. So you have to have a CO2 cylinder first, and then you kind of want to use CO2 to push the beer with using a racking arm out of the primary and, have a tube going all the way down into secondary so you don't create a lot of splashing. And you're just basically avoiding aeration um, as much as possible on the cold side because that's where, that's when homebrew like tastes like homebrew. You know, when you do it right, that's when homebrew tastes like pro-brew. Purging your bottles before filling them with CO2 will increase the lifetime, like the shelf life of that beer right. by like six months. It's incredible. Good to know. Yeah. Otherwise, you'll have an IPA that that's, tastes good for about like a week. Right. And then it's going to taste like oxidized garbage after that. Right. And you'll see it in the color, too. It'll get really dark. Definitely going to use that. What's next for your brewery? What does uh, the future look like for Little Brother? Well, we opened our second location in Graham, North Carolina. Little Brother Brewing Barrel and Bottle okay. um, in November of 2020. Um, so, uh, and then we are opening our third location, uh, in August and, um, at LeBauer Park. Um, so we're going to, we're going to have this, uh, cool, almost kind of kiosk building that we, we rented out. Um, and so we're going to be serving beers right on the park, um, for people to enjoy while they're there. Um, and it's, we're going to be right across from the performing arts center. Uh, we're, we're going to be programming that lawn a lot. It's going to be called lawn service, actually. Very and, uh, cool. We're also going to be doing uh, coffee drinks and baked goods. Very and cool. So we're working with uh, counterculture coffee and um, some creamery. I forget for ice cream, but it's going to be really good. Yeah, sounds and awesome. We also have a couple more concepts in the works um, that may come to fruition in the next few months. So uh, definitely keep an eye out for that. Yeah, we'll stay tuned. Uh, so if you had advice for someone that was opening their own brewery, what would it be? <laughs> Don't expect to retire on it. Gotcha. <laughs> if, you're, if you're in this for the money, you're in the wrong game. Good to know. <laughs> so did you happen to have a funny story for us? So um, in 2018, uh, for Halloween, we did an adoption event. Okay. And uh, it was a great time. Um, it was kind of, kind of raining out. So we had all the crates under the, 
alcove stacked up uh, against the wall outside so people could come check out check out the dogs and see if we can get some adoptions actually after that event we got 30 dogs adopted so it was really great wow but anyway great. i was just trying to help out um taking them down the street and um letting them go to the bathroom and everything and then um i started you know kind of taking them to the bottle shop across the street, uh, Beer Co., and just hanging out with them and having a beer, another beer and another beer, and then pretty soon um, I was drunk, and I woke up the next day, and I had this text message, and it was like, hey, we're on our way, and I was like, on our way with what? And I got a picture of this dog, and I was like, oh my god, I got drunk and adopted a dog last night. Oh, no. <laughs> And uh, since then, he has become our uh, loyal taproom dog. He uh, greets everyone at the door and uh, jumps up and snuggles with anybody that uh, sits on the couch and uh, howls at all the fire engines yeah. that come by, which is frequent yeah. because uh, we're right next to a fire station. Right. He's got. He's probably has better name ID than most of our bartenders. Nice. Maybe even me. Yes. <laughs> so. Uh... I have a little segment called Quick Fire Five. Five quick questions, oh. beer related. Ready? Yep. Okay. If somebody walked into your brewery, one of the beers you'd recommend them tr- that they try? Oh, at this moment, uh, Ermanito. It's a jalapeno serrano pale ale. And uh, tomorrow I'm uh, tapping a, a uh, farmhouse ale, which is uh, a blend of five different Brett strains uh, aged on Chardonnay barrels for a year. I'm really excited about that. Interesting. Favorite brewery other than your own? Um, let's, I love uh, High Branch out of Concord. These guys are awesome. Okay. Favorite? Uh, also, oh. Town and Protagonist in Charlotte are, are fantastic. All right. Favorite style of beer? Barrel-aged sour. Barrel-aged sour. Uh, last beer that you drank that blew you away? Recently, I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to drink uh, my favorite beer of all time, so it, it continues to blow, blow me away, um, but it is, that is the Malheur Dark Brute. Um, it is a, uh, uh, it's a, it's like a dark champagne style. They actually send, it's a Belgian brewery, and they send all their bottles uh, of this dark Belgian style over to Champagne for like traditional champagne aging. They turn the bottles, it's called riddling and everything. And then um, where it undergoes like a uh, secondary fermentation of the bottle. Um, it's incredible. I served it at my wedding. Very nice. And you have one keg of beer to hold you over for a two week quarantine. Which beer are you choosing? Um, that would be one beer, something I can drink a lot of. Dolly from Protagonist. It's a, it's a honey blonde. It's fantastic. Well, Steve, that's all I have for you, man. Well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew Old Order Podcast, Steve Monahan, co-owner of Little Brother Brewing Company in Greensboro, North Carolina. Thank you. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Stephen Monahan, co-owner of Little Brother Brewing Company in Greensboro, North Carolina. Whether you're passing through, you live in the area, or just visiting a friend nearby, you should definitely check him out. Give him a follow on social media while you're at it. Every other Sunday, I'll be releasing a new episode, so subscribe, and you'll never miss one. Also, be sure to check us out on social media for updates on the podcast. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew Old Order Podcast. You stay safe out there.